right now on Higher Journeys with Alexis Brooks. The real prep of the narrative is going towards Project Blue Bee. And anytime you hear the word blue in anything from Project Blue Book to Blue Beam, uh, it means extraterrestrial. That is code word for ET. As many wait with anxious anticipation in the run-up to the soon-to-be-released UAP Task Force report to the U.S. Congress, some are speculating that all of the buzz could be leading the masses down the path of a contrived alien invasion. Project Bluebeam is known among alternative UFO researchers as the program that will bring this plan to life. Brad Olson, an alternative researcher and author of the book Beyond Esoteric, explains what he knows about this program and why it's so important to set the stage for the human psyche if such a plan is to be carried out. But Olson didn't stop there. He also shares his research into the shadow side of non-human intelligence that include the possibility of inner and ultra-terrestrials, the real men in black, a hybridized society, and the transhumanist agenda. In this conversation, we take a deep dive into the history of dark forces and a reality that most could never fathom. Are we all about to witness the shock of our lives, the birth of a brighter day, or both? Brad Olson, it is about time you showed up on Higher Journeys and I'm so glad you did. <laughs> I'm not scolding you. I can't scold you. I should be scolding myself that I didn't get a hold of you sooner. I'm a big fan of yours, Mr. Olson. Uh, I'm a fan of your courage, particularly in the in the taboo subjects that you have covered. But I'm most uh, in admiration of the fact that you're, you have a means to an end going into the darkness in order to discover the light. I, I like to say, how can we know how brilliant the light is if we haven't had the courage to glimpse the shadow by comparison? Your book, which we're going to get into kind of in a niche area beyond esoteric, by the way, guys, part of a trilogy that, uh, there it is right there. We're going to put a screen uh, shot up, a proper screenshot. Is all of that in a bag of chips, man? I got to tell you, I haven't read the entire book yet. And I said, I've got a, uh, Brad was kind enough to send me the ebook, but my eyes have been strained lately. So I'm hankering for that hard copy so I can really dig in. But kudos for all the work that you've done. We're going to dig in. We're going to talk about a chapter called ET is already here. I thought that would be apropos given all the buzz lately, eh? But uh, before we get into that, let me first welcome you for the first time to Higher Journeys, Brad Olson. Thanks for coming. Oh, thanks for having me on. Uh, we've been talking in the pre-show, and it seems like we're old pals from way back when. And Absolutely. And I love right when that happens. Right on the happened. same page with so many things. Absolutely. So it's great to be on your show. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And I know the journeyers, I call my audience the journeyers, will uh, love to hear what you have to say. Look, guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reiterate this again. As I was perusing this incredible work of, of Brad's and looking at all the subjects that we could potentially cover, I, I immediately connected with the chapter ET is already here. We're, we're talking about a chapter that really gives the history of how we may be living alongside what I like to call non-human intelligence, but a history in a way that you may not imagine. And I thought to myself, hmm, should I go here with my audience now? By now you have heard 
uh, my conscious commentary episode in the garden where we talked about abundance and affirmations and all that fun light stuff. And here we go on the opposite end of the spectrum. But again, I say, we've got to have a balance here. I want my audience, Brad, to have an equilibrium when it comes to these subjects so we can know how brilliant the light is. Uh, So with that being said, I want to start with a quote from from, uh, your book that says it has to do with predatory species. You say, quote, certain species are as native and terrestrial to our planet as fire and rain. They are the game wardens of this preserve we call Earth. And like good game wardens, they do not encourage the creatures within to suspect that it is a life form and a prison planet. And as predatory masters, they demand access to the herd, end quote. That's a loaded statement, my friend. You want to elaborate, explain where where you're coming from with that? Well, uh, I want people to be aware that humans are not the only higher intelligence on this planet. Well, you could make an argument that uh, dolphins, whales, chimpanzees, other mammals also have higher intelligence. But in the case of predatory species, we're talking about inter-terrestrials. Remember how we've always been taught, look to the sky, the ships are going to come down, extra planetary terrestrials coming here. What about right below our feet? The interterrestrials in their own deep underground bases. And those who have multidimensionality abilities, which we're only now just beginning to understand, are called ultra-terrestrials. And many of these predatory species are inner and ultra, and sometimes even extra terrestrials coming from far away. Now, there is the notion of a prime directive. It's my understanding through the study of exopolitics that this prime directive, which was popularized in the TV show Star Trek, states that any emerging civilization, such as ours on Earth, has the right to evolve unaffected by other intelligences. And this is what was portrayed as a prime directive in Star Trek, but is a real universal law. However, when you have other species that are born here, that are created here as well, uh, I'll give the example of reptilians, are natural born with the mother and father, but uh, the greys are all test tube created. They do not have natural birth anymore. However, both of these species have abilities far beyond our own. Those to manipulate us through telepathy, those with technology beyond our wildest dreams, and those who have um, an ability to abduct and sometimes mutilate or probe humans. And this is what the whole human abduction scenario, as well as cattle mutilations, is all about. So until we start to really examine this question that there are predatory species of humans, we're not the top of the food chain as we like to think we are, that um, we're really doing ourselves a disservice by not fully understanding this question, that uh, they're here and they have been here for thousands of years. And their workaround of the prime directive is, 
hey, we are born here on Earth. We have as much right to utilize the resources of this planet, in this case, humans, just in the same way that we have cattle in our field. And we look at that as livestock and we're um, preying upon that species of cattle for our own usage. Mm -hmm. They can make a argument to the various federations that um, monitor these kind of things that they have a right to, to do that. And if you go back even further, if you look at our DNA and genetic makeup and the many different types of genomes within the human race, um, they will claim that we were created by them to be this slave race here on prison planet to originally to work the mines of South Africa. My good friend, Michael Tellinger, uh, he, he's done quite a bit of research of the ancient gold mines of South Africa, as well as many, many um, very old um, artifacts, archaeological buildings, and so forth. So this is a data point that connects with Zechariah Sitchin, who did mm -hmm. uh, uh, The Twelfth Planet and several other books about the creation of humans. So the reason I'm bringing this up into this uh, discussion is because if you look at humans as being this created, maybe even patented life form, that is considered to be owned by these predatory species, they have this ability to make a claim that, hey, this is our property. We're using it in the same way that a rancher uses his cattle to sell on the market and do what they will. You don't hear much about cattle rights, do you? And just <laughs> in the same way, they may make the argument that um, we're not mature enough, we, we can't really quite understand this yet, or that they put us here for a reason, to be their chattel. So I, I just want people to understand this. It's a very, very good chance that nobody's ever going to experience uh, an abduction or any kind of, so I'm not trying to put fear into people, but just to have an awareness that this exists here on earth. What you're talking about, Brad, has been brought up in, other conversations over the years about this idea that we are, <clears throat> that there is a, a prime directive amongst a certain non-human species. And that includes that they essentially own us or that they can treat us. You know, we've been referred to as being in a galactic zoo as an example. Right. Uh, but that of course seems somewhat contradictory to the idea of free will. And yet do you feel that exists as well? And if so, how do we reconcile that? Right. Well, we absolutely have free will. And see, that is in many ways our get out of jail free card, jail being here in the prison planet, because we have the ability to make decisions on our behalf to allow us the ability to do things for ourselves and for others around us as a form of protection. So to be here in the zoo, think about a real zoo. Do the animals who were probably born on that zoo even know that, uh, for example, a giraffe that came from the Serengeti Plains of Africa was from there originally? They probably don't, they have no idea. They could never know that. Just in the same way that we could never really know that we are these genetically manipulated species, including a little bit of reptilian 
right here in the back of our brain at the top of the spine where it meets the brain is the reptilian brain and, and that is the fight or flight mechanism. So we have a little bit of these species in us as well. And that kind of adds to the whole mix, but as it relates to our free will, when we know that we have it, then we can understand like a giraffe from the Serengeti, this is where we're from. And so it takes a higher intelligence to exert their free will as well as to understand the true backstory about where they're from. When you talk about the fact that we have a mix of a little bit of reptilian, of course, the, the reptilian brain and other, there are other aspects of us that hearken of, of other, perhaps other non-human species. Um, you talk about the hybridization program in great detail in your book. I want to jump to that, uh, this idea of part, we'll say for argument's sake, ET, part ET, part human, creating hybrids, many of which we would not know by the looks of them are hybrids. Some argue that we're all hybrids to some extent. So what I'm going to ask you, let's, let's jump to that. I'm going to try to fit in a whole bunch of stuff here because you, even in just this one chapter, you go into so many different areas. How do you think if the hybridization program is really happening, has been and continues to happen, would it relate to this idea of transhumanism, mm. which is also a form of hybridization, of course? Absolutely. That's a great question, Alexa. And, and it really does pine down to the actual point of who are we as humans? And if we are mixing with other races, even other species, in this transhumanist agenda, are we becoming human 2.0? And I think I make a, a good case in the book that we are, even without our knowledge. And so if we look at the hybridization program, a lot of people have heard of the men in black. It was a, a cartoon kind of movie. There's no real data in that, but this is a real phenomenon dating all the way back to the 1950s when somebody would have a, a close encounter uh, and before they were even able to get on the phone or tell anybody, of course, this is in the age before cell phones, they would have this encounter with these men in black. And by all accounts, they were hybrids. They hid behind big glasses so you couldn't see their large eyes. They had no real knowledge of very simple things such as a ballpoint pen, how to use it or a fork. Um, but they were highly telepathic and in their threat of keeping the secret of what those persons just saw, they were able to instill fear using telepathy, no direct threats, nothing spoken, but a certain foreboding and, and dread that if they were to talk about it, that uh, something bad would happen to them. Uh, and these men in black would be back. I do mention them in the chapters in Beyond Esoteric yes. because it is important to bring them up again and to give people an example of what a human ET hybrid is all about. Perhaps also their agenda here. In the other book in the series, Future Esoteric, there's a whole chapter on the men in black in the cosmos section, which goes into a lot of these ET studies as well. And 
So in the case of the, the men in black, that they have an agenda to keep this quiet. They don't want the animals in the zoo to know what's really going on. Ignorance to them has been their greatest protection. Mm -hmm. Now we see the, the drip, drip, drip of disclosure. It's starting to become a pretty steady flow. And when the dam bursts, well, this is what the controllers, even on the human side, have always been uh, concerned about. That um, the example is the War of the Worlds. When when that played in the 1930s, there were people that jumped out of windows. There was widespread panic, and so these uh, think tank institutes says, "Humans, they can't handle the truth. We can't tell them about this ET reality," and so everything went underground. Well, that's a big problem. When you hold truth of this magnitude for this long, then a lot of this has to fall on the shoulders of researchers like you and I, Alexis, right. to try to make sense of these very important subjects. When your government, your educational system, your media won't cover it, well, who will? And, and the best we get from them is just, oh, you're all woo-woo and we can't take you seriously, but you should take it seriously because it affects all of us. And it is part of the story of humans on this planet. I and, love and, it. Here, my here, theory here. is we, we have a right to know this stuff. We really we have do. a right and to we know, should this, know stuff. this stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I think the woo-woo, the, the, the woo-woo, the temperature of the woo-woo has gone down ever so slightly given what we're going through right now. You know, I just did an article on higherjourneys.com where I interviewed a bunch of folks talking about the significance of the so-called the, the forthcoming. I keep saying forthcoming, guys. It's what? When this airs, it'll be the 22nd of June, 23rd. Come on with it. But come on with what, Brad? What are we going to come on with? Yeah. No, no, I'm, I'm digressing. The, the point I was going to make very quickly is the woo-woo quotient has gone down ever so slightly. And I think there's a very, very, I think the implications of the timing of what we're seeing is deeper than what we're going to see in the report itself, frankly. A, a lot of us in the field of ufology are like, yeah, 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 same old, same old, right? We haven't seen it yet. So who knows? Right. Let's go to this. We have to. You just, you just opened up Pandora's box, man. <laughs> Let me just put you on the spot. What do you think is really going on with the motivation of now this forthcoming report? And I know that's a loaded ass question. I never swear on the show, but I'm going to say it. It's a loaded question, but there's something else going on. It's never what we think. Let's just go with that assumption. What do you think is really going on? Well, they're prepping the narrative. And by that, I mean, how is it that CNN or ABC or CBS doing the 60 Minutes piece about a month ago about these grainy videos? Notice how we really haven't seen anything really that great. I mean, Billy Meyer in Switzerland took better pictures of UFOs in the 1950s than really anything we've seen from these uh, grainy uh, military videos. So what I think is really going on is they're prepping the narrative, meaning all of a sudden the mainstream media is really interested in this subject. Well, it's a lead up to something, a lead up to something very big, something we've known about in ufology for many years, ever since... The paperclip Nazi Werner von Braun, who was one of the heads of NASA, a rocket scientist from Penamunde, Germany, came over here to help start up our own NASA 
And on his deathbed, he spoke to his assistant, Carol Rosen, and said that there would be these three phases of threats. It would be a terrorist threat of an invisible enemy. We've already gone through that. There would be an asteroid threat, which we're kind of in the midst of now. They're talking about mining asteroids, or Russia said, we'll shoot them down. And if we don't have support from the community, that we'll use our own technology. And that is a question in and of itself. What kind of technology do you guys got, Russia, that you could blast an asteroid out of the sky? But the real prep of the narrative is going towards Project Bluebeam. And anytime you hear the word blue in anything from Project Blue Book to Blue Beam, uh, it means extraterrestrial. That is code word for ET. And so what Project Blue Beam is, is this faked alien invasion. And this would be the point where they usher in this new world order, one world government agenda. And, and we can see it happening all around us that they're starting to move in this direction, take away nation sovereignty, uh, take away our, our rights, all the while peppering us with these tantalizing little grainy videos. And we see the ETs that notice they don't really get into the meat and potatoes of the matter. It's always, ooh, what are they? And on 60 Minutes, they had to even throw in, you know, people are going to think you're crazy. I know. If you talk know. About it. So, right. so we never really quite get a serious discussion about it. They're always putting the fear, uncertainty, and doubt in there. But the 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 big picture here is we could be prepped for this uh, holographic sky show, this, this opera of ships coming down. Now, what's really interesting is that there's going to be a massive discovery somewhere on earth that's going to show us a different kind of world that we know it could very well be something out of Antarctica. There's a lot of murmurings of things being found down there and movements and uh, under ice bases. Uh, and that would be the prep for Bluebeam. So I, I do discuss it in Beyond Esoteric. I have the whole uh, timeline and outline of what would have to happen in order for this uh, sky show to happen. And one of the effects is also that we would see this holographic image of whatever country we're in. So whatever our uh, Western country uh, in Europe and North America would most likely be Jesus. In the Middle East, it would be Mohammed, even though they're, they're not supposed to show any image of Mohammed. In the East, it would be Buddha or uh, Zoroastra, any number of uh, deities, Krishna or Vishnu in India, would appear in the sky. And they have, and it's been known for over a decade, they have voice to skull technology. So we would all hear what we see talking to us. What I'm telling you right now, it's all fake. It's all a setup to get us human sheeple people into line to say, hey, we're having this uh, second coming of Christ. Notice how that's such a big theme mm -hmm. in Christianity. And while it could very well be, I would say that if it appears in the sky, followed by this sky show of UFOs uh, intent on taking over the world, and then like Ronald Reagan said in front of the UN in the 1980s, 
if we were faced with a threat from outer space, wouldn't we come together with all nations to counter that threat? So it's kind of along those lines. It would be a way to say, hey, we've got to come together as a world government, as a world entity, and allow our forces to thwart this alien attack. Now, I know some people in the secret space program um, who have been off planet, the 20 and back stuff. I sometimes moderate a super soldier panel at conferences. And one of those uh, individuals is Captain Randy Kramer. And he says it'd be a good thing to do Project Bluebeam. In fact, his message from his higher up say, Randy, we want you to help uh, get this narrative out there. And I said, well, what good could come of this, Randy? And he said, well, they have a lot of technology that has been bottled up in these black programs. For one, it would be a way to release all these programs out to the public without really admitting that, hey, we've been squandering all this stuff and we couldn't tell you until now because we had to use it to counter the aliens. So that's one aspect. But the other aspect is that uh, in order to get it to a peaceful state into this uh, Star Trek future, which, by the way, we're already there, technologically speaking, uh, 300 years in our future is when Star Trek, the TV show, was set to take place. And it was humans exploring the galaxy. Uh, and so another reason to do Bluebeam, according to Captain K, his, was his nickname, was to help bring people together into this uh, exploring the universe model. And I said, do you really need to have some kind of fake alien attack where there's certainly going to be some collateral damage and people dying? And he thought, he said, well, his higher ups thought they did, that they did need to initiate that in order to bring us all together because we're too divergent. We're, we're too many issues or differences between us. I disagree. I think we're coming together as as one human race right now, and we can do it without scaring everybody. But this and is they've the already scared everybody. They've already scared everyone, yeah. Brad. We know that. Using another tool operation, let's just say we don't yeah. have to just state the obvious. They've already got us at a fever pitch of fear. Listen, I want. Oh my God, woo! We're going deep. We're going deep, journeyers, but uh, before we go any deeper, I'm going to stop right now. Let's take a pause and uh, for a quick break. We'll be right back. And it has something to do with what Brad will be involved with and me in the coming week. Be right back. When you start to ask the question, it unfolds the fabric of space itself, how it's made. What is it made of? not alone in this universe. We never have been. Alien intelligences have cohabited with us on this planet for millions of years. We inherited the obsession from the Anunnaki. Anyone that still thinks that we're the ones that are obsessed with gold does not know enough about the true history of our species, how we came to be here, and the conditions that brought us here. We are not unique in this universe. Extraterrestrials do exist. We are, so to say, the copies of them. 
All right, everyone, we're back. My guest is Brad Olson, author of one of the, I think it's the third in, the, in a trilogy called Beyond yes. Esoterica. The other two are what, Brad? Modern Esoteric and Future Esoteric. So it's basically, uh, each one is a standalone book. They do uh, work well in tandem. Mm -hmm. You can go one, two, three, or you can pick up anyone and, and pick up. I never repeat my material, so it's all uh, fresh, new. And this one being the most recent. Uh, Absolutely. There's a lot of things going on in the world today that are relevant. Perfect timing. Yeah. I say anybody who even has a remote interest in these subjects and wants to deep dig deeper, get these three books, put them in your library and take your time. These are, although they're page turners or they're, they're page studiers, you have to study because you really go into history. I put you right up there with, you know, one of my favorite books, I'll, I'll say, I'm going to put it on the record. David Icke's uh, Human Race, Get Off Your Knees. I took a whole summer and read that book. And when I started reading yours, and again, everybody has something different to add, but I got that same feel of, wow, he's really giving us a history. Just in this chapter that we're talking about, uh, about E.T., so much bigger than that. You bring in the Nazi element. You bring in the the elite family aspect. You go there. Uh, and I'm tempted to go there right now, but I want to stay. I said while we were in break, I want to stay on the on the Blue Beam project for a bit because we did also talk about that uh, in our article over on um, higherjourneys.com. Maybe I'll link it. Interestingly, that blue is a code word. I don't know if I knew that within intelligence circles for ET. The reason why I find it interesting, Brad, is because now I think, you know, my work is more on the experiential side where I've interviewed scores of contactees, experiencers many of which have talked about the interaction. I've, there's a whole litany of scenarios and how people have been contacted, but oftentimes a blue light is a part of the encounter, whether it's a blue light emerging through the ceiling. I just took an account from an individual who was here fixing my cabinet, who told me a story about her husband. She witnessed a blue beam coming through the ceiling. He had some kind of affliction, went into his abdomen and he was healed instantly. Wow. Where do you think all this is coming from? The blue. So are, do you think our intelligent sources are familiar with the, the connection with blue and, and kind of came up with that as their code? I don't think that's an accident. What do you think? Mm, probably not. And, and did you know that blue and by extension purple are one of the hardest dyes to make as a color for clothing? That's why um, these colors were often associated with royalty because you're able to make a, a blue shirt, for example, in medieval times, you had some kind of technology that <laughs> could create the, the color on cloth that way. Um, Interesting. I don't know why the color blue was chosen as a code word for anything extraterrestrial. You could be right. Maybe it was because this blue light how exotic is that? Uh, it's also a difficult color to represent with lasers. It was one of the last colors that they were able to use uh, in laser beams. So it, it, it is a color that is somewhat exclusive or associated with royalty. And as you mentioned with uh, abduction scenarios, to be in a blue beam or tractor beam going up to a ship, perhaps. Uh, I've seen it associated that way too. 
could be one of the reasons they chose that word. But uh, again, so many things that come out of the government in this drip, 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 we never quite get a straight answer. That's why NASA, the acronym, NASA is never a straight answer. <laughs> They're not in the business to be uh, telling us what we really want to know. And, and another reason why this all has to fall on shoulders, like you, Alexa, to, to talk to people who have had these experiences because nobody else is doing it. Right. And you we must know it. that when people do have these uh, discussions with you, it, it's like a weight off their back and many times are reluctant to even speak of it, which to me adds to the authenticity that what they're speaking of is, is truly their personal experience that was very traumatizing, I'm sure. Yeah. I don't think I would want to go through that. No. Well, there, therein lies the <laughs> a big story in terms of the weight off of people's shoulders that have been hiding typically not one experience, not in a vacuum, guys. This is happening. And many of you are watching this show right now who consider yourself experiencers, uh, lifetime experiencers, you know, our mutual colleague, Grant Cameron, I'll never forget, I was at a conference years ago where he was speaking. He says, according to his research, if you have had one encounter, you are a lifer, meaning mm -hmm. that there is a history, oftentimes intergenerational, intergenerational. So that goes, begs the question, where is the connection here? Uh, wh why? Why is it intergenerational in many cases? Why is it not just one encounter? Well, it says it, it to me, that there is a result, there's an expectation that whomever is doing the abducting or, in, I don't think all encounters are abductions, by the way, but whoever is interacting with these individuals are trying to procure something, whether it's information or actual DNA, they're trying to procure something and they're monitoring, apparently, over generations, it seems. The question is, and you go there, what hand, what skin in the game, if any, do human factions have in this whole process? And I know that's a deep one. Well, it, it goes back to our analogy of uh, the zoo and the zookeeper. The zookeeper or the rancher or the, the farmhand who's working with the livestock, they're, they're not in the business to inform us of our fate. They're not there to say, hey, <laughs> you live on prison planet, you know that? No, they would rather us just be the bleeding sheep and be unknowing. So when we get into these subjects, when we talk to abductees and get their account, often very traumatizing, uh, hard, being probed, coming back, remembering these memories that oftentimes are swiped, um, to me, they're very authentic. And, and I've talked to other experiencers like yourself who have, who have worked with them. And these are great, important stories for the whole narrative here on understanding uh, exopolitics. What is our interaction with them and what, what do they want from us? More than just um, perhaps tissue, DNA, maybe our blood. Did you know that most abductees are RH negative blood types? Yes, that's a yes. Yeah. And that's Many are. right there. And my family is RH negative blood type. Nobody I know of has been abducted, but there's 15% of the planet with RH negative blood. So that means hundreds of millions of people have it. Now, what is that? RH stands for rhesus monkey. 
And what it means is that 85% who are RH positive have tracers that go back to the ape family that we've heard about through the theory of evolution. And I, I do still think it's a theory because it does not account for those RH negative types that do not have these tracers. So then who are these people? If they don't have this indigenous uh, DNA connection through their blood with um, previous life forms. Well, Edgar Casey would say that they're the survivors of Atlantis and these higher civilizations that once lived on the planet. And in the modern esoteric Beyond Our Senses book, the first section is all about lifeology and the history on this planet and archeological ruins, including underwater, that show that there have been high-tech civilizations here on this planet before. So if you look at the real timeline of history, it's not 12,000 years since Mesopotamia and Egypt, and that's where civilization began. We're talking hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years back with high-tech civilizations on this planet. Now, keep in mind that Earth is primarily a water planet. It's 29% landmass. Okay, a little over a quarter of this planet is covered with land. That means about three quarters of this world is filled with oceans, okay? So what we know about ourselves is just a fraction of really what is to be known on this earth. And I've often said that the great mysteries of the world, of this planet, really are, are at the depths of the ocean and what might be under the ice in Antarctica. Let's go there. So, I know you're yeah. bursting to well, talk about it. This is where your bailiwick is, truly. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Let's get there. right there. in. Right. So two and a half years ago, I made a journey down there. As far as I know, I'm, I'm the only researcher in this field who's actually gone to Antarctica with the expressed purpose of looking into a lot of the various things we've heard about going on down there, such as these three massive craft under the ice, which have the nickname from our intelligence agencies, Nina, Pinta, and Santa Maria, the three ships of Columbus's original voyage. Those aren't the real names of the craft, but that's the nickname to antediluvian civilizations, to ancient civilization, possibly even Atlantis itself being under the ice. In my presentation at Contact in the Desert, I'm doing a workshop called The Hidden Anomalies of Antarctica, including the latest findings. And I'm always on top of it, watching anything I can, reading articles, anything breaking news. And a lot is going on down there. And this also may tie into the Project Bluebeam narrative, as we spoke about shortly before the break, that it could be some kind of great revelation coming out of Antarctica. Maybe one of these three motherships, maybe one of these pyramids uh, it is made by humans, uh, or it could be sightings of craft themselves flying out of there. And my colleague, Dr. Michael Sala, who we exchange information on Antarctica, is reporting that the Dark Fleet, which has been allied with Nazi Germany and is this malevolent ET force, are currently bugging out of Antarctica, that something's happening. Maybe this uh, Earth Alliance, these white hats are now getting 
pretty close to them and they're feeling like they have to go off planet or perhaps down to the deepest depths of the ocean. So it should be pointed out that Operation High Jump, which was this battle between uh, Admiral Byrd, who went down the right after World War II to root out this Nazi presence in the new Schwabenland area, the ships came up out of the ocean. So it should be noted that UFOs with the ability to fly not only at incredible speeds, perhaps even interdimensionally or through wormholes to other star systems, also have the ability because what they do is they manipulate the matter and the gravity around them. So they create their own gravity field. So even when they're going up very fast, it's like they're falling into the gravity field. So they're mm -hmm. falling upwards because they're creating that gravity force. Similarly, they can go underwater with USOs. Yeah. Yes, USOs. Submerged objects. Sure. You're hearing more right. about that now. And so that's what the Battle of High Jump was. They were going over this uh, base 211, the New Berlin base. They were dropping ordinances. And on the second day, all those pilots, all those planes just went off radar, never to be heard from again. A few hours later, these ships came up out of the water, confronted the armada of ships, and they couldn't shoot them down. They couldn't do anything. On the way back, Admiral Byrd had a journalist from Santiago, Chile, and he said, and it's in, in the article still, you can read it in Spanish and translate it, we will be confronted with an enemy that has the ability to fly pull to pull at incredible speeds. Well, Alexa, as far as I know, we still don't have ships that can fly pole to pole at incredible speeds. So this is about uh, 75 years ago. He said this, and presumably we're still playing catch up with that kind of technology. Now, I do believe they have that in the secret space program. Part of the reason Trump made the Space Force was, I think this is part of the rollout of slow disclosure that they're going to show us what they have and it's going to be incredible but they, hopefully not they? in the context well they Sorry. is yeah they is this controlling globalist elite uh with bases in antarctica no less this uh corporate interplanetary corporate conglomerate is the proper term that they use to describe themselves and they have been hoarding technology for decades they have a lot and they are trading off planet um, they are now being countered by some of our secret space programs such as solar warden and now the space force are, are more of the good guys in this and this is why perhaps the dark fleet is fleeing from antarctica is now they are being matched technologically speaking uh, or perhaps being one-upped better technology and let's face it, if you have a, and this goes all the way back to the Bronze Age, if your sword is made out of copper and mine's out of bronze, I don't care if you're a little guy and I'm a big guy, if you have a better weapon, you're mm -hmm. going to win that battle. And the same is true today with technology. And I think that could be why Dr. Sala is reporting that this dark fleet is now leaving Antarctica because they're being challenged. And these under ice bases are being confronted. Um, 
Isn't it interesting that John Kerry, our Secretary of State, the highest ranking politician in history, was down in Antarctica right when the 2016 election was decided? Mm-hmm. Why was he down there? Oh, I'm a climate champion. Checking out the penguins. Oh, I saw the penguins. They're cute. You'd like them too, Alexa, but <laughs> I saw, I've seen the penguins. They've been talking about that. That was in 2016. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, we know there's something going on there. Uh, mysterious. The question is, how does all of this fold into, I always look at time, although time may be a construct, an illusion, but he, here we are in 3D going through what we've gone through and all of these other sort of moving parts are happening concurrently. Someone I know that you admired greatly, Terrence McKenna, once said, the future will happen all at once. The future will happen all at once. I love Terrence McKenna myself. I wish he was still here. So the future, which is really the present, never really the future, is come hook or crook some kind of disclosure, whether through the narrative, I doubt it, but somehow... You've got the mystery of Antarctica finally being unearthed, literally, maybe. You've got this metaphysical dynamic, Brad, that you and I haven't had a chance to talk about, but my audience knows I have a sense ever since the Saturn-Pluto conjunction of 2020, I wanted to talk about that with you as well, some sort of confluence that has caused this incredible both revelation, this paradox, this, this revelatory period and a period of more being hidden, but coming to the surface. The future will happen all at once. All of these things converging. Something powerful is going on. The light and the dark seem to be duking it out like never before. Saturn-Pluto conjunction. You talk about Saturn in your book and the the significance of uh, Saturn and and all of its malevolent aspects, although there, there are other aspects. Are you, did you follow that conjunction last year? In January 12th, I believe, of 2020? Sure, I'm aware of it. Um, Not like you, Laura Eisenhower, as far as astrology and and the deeper meaning of all that. It's not really my expertise, but certainly I follow anything in the esoteric field. And and this being a very important conjunction, Mm -hmm. Saturn having a lot of properties that are interesting to the occult. uh, From the hexagram on the North Pole, this ever present feature of a geometric form to the rings of Saturn, to what might be in some of those rings or in the asteroid belt as well. And that's where uh, a lot of extraterrestrials are said to lurk, to have even uh, out bases in our solar system, uh, in the rings of Saturn, in the uh, asteroid belt, good place to hide. And Randy Kramer, has said that he's been to one of these bases off Saturn, and this is where a lot of the uh, commerce off-planet is taking place. And there's a lot of things. I mean, Earth is this genetic storehouse. Mm -hmm. Even though we're mostly an ocean planet, there are so much life here that some other species may just be interested in a cockroach from the Amazon basins. Don't even care about what we're humans are up to, but a lot of other ETs are very concerned about the human race and our awakening and how we are caretakers of this planet, which haven't been doing a very good job. Mm. Uh, 
with so many environmental catastrophes from Fukushima to the deforestation of the rainforest to the polluting of the oceans, including these giant gyres of garbage out there. So we've got a lot of cleanup to do. We've got a big mess that we've created. And this is why the benevolent ETs just don't land on the White House lawn and say, hey, we're here. We're your nannies now. We're going to fix everything for you. That's not their job. It's our job. Uh, what they can do, and this is where your work is really important, Alexa, is working through people who have an experience with them and gleaning the information gathered from some of these and not all abductions are bad. Uh, not all no. abductions are forceful. Some can be very beneficial, both to the person who's going on that journey and perhaps what they can give to these other races. And maybe you'd like to speak to that. I'm thinking, I'm kind of hooked on your thought of the cleanup that we have to do. You know where I think the biggest cleanup has to take place? In the mind and in the heart clean up, clean out, clean up, clean up your third eye. I'm being somewhat facetious, but not really. Wake up. First, you got to wake up before you can clean up. And I'm still, I'm sorry. I know that a lot of people are talking about how many people are waking up. Well, I don't know everybody, so I can't say, but what I'm seeing, I'm still deeply concerned that people are so completely oblivious to the things you and I talk about and will do anything to defend. I think you make mention of this in, in the beginning of your book will do anything to defend the lie. They have skin in the game when it comes to the lie. They have Stockholm syndrome, if you will. Uh, we can't have that because they're not waking up or, or becoming more aware of the reality and the history that has been, frankly, in our some of our faces forever. They're not re refusing to see that is going to be, I hate to say, I'm not going to say the death of us all, but it's certainly going to impact what we call evolution of humanity. And that's going to affect all one bad apple spoils a whole bunch type of thing. So when yeah. you say clean up or wake up, I forget what you said. Did you say clean up, clean, clean up, clean up to wake up, clean and up to course, wake up. We may have to really break down all of these established institutions to do that too. And, and that, could be part of the the fear of what's coming. So when we no longer can believe in our religious institutions, our governments have deceived us, the media lies, these things have to come down before they can be reconstructed into something very positive and working for the betterment of people, not to just control their mind thoughts because our minds are very, very powerful. You see, this is... This is very esoteric, but this is what we have been kept from knowing for literally thousands of years. Absolutely. As you know, I start in Beyond Esoteric. I have a lot of material in Modern Esoteric about the mystery schools, about these secret societies that have hoarded this information. Certain people know about this stuff, Alexa, and have I known know. for a long time. But it's not fair that, that, that it should be in these uh, secret quarters and not available to all. But that's why I say on the back of the book, all that is hidden will be revealed. And when it comes out as it is, it is going to be really the zeitgeist of the age. This is what it's all about. And I think this is why so many of us have been incarnated in this lifetime 
to be a part of this ascension process. It is the greatest show in the universe. And we're down here on the ground crew, Alexa. And yeah, you know, so many people from the Indigo children to people that are being reborn now with these incredible abilities that you've never seen. How did Mozart know how to play concertos at five years old? How are people just born with these incredible abilities from the get-go? Well, they're coming here with this knowledge that they've already attained, this mastery that has been acquired in previous lifetimes and using it because they do have compassion for this planet. They right. do want to see this process w wake up. And, and this is a very unique situation that's going on here on Earth. And this is my understanding through exopolitics, why the benevolent ETs, they're watching us. And, and they're saying humans have to do it themselves. We'll give them a little assistance, perhaps through people who, who are open to these messages or sometimes through people in uh, being abducted as well. But it's up to us to really gather this together and put together a cohesive part. And so for my small part to be able to come out with these books, to help people try to understand this very momentous period in history we're in and then give them the ammunition they need to just understand this world in a different way, to understand all that has been withheld from us that can very well benefit each one of us individually. Absolutely. Um, in so many different ways from our health to our state of mind to just having a, no a knowledge of what else is going on in the world that has been uh, kept from us for so long. We have everything and more that we need from Tara Firmer herself, from Gaia herself, to the information, great information that you have, I believe spent in excess of 10 years putting these three books together. Yes, that's yes, dedication, right. guys. That's dedication. And he didn't do it to spin his own wheels. And let, let this not be in vain, this work that this man and others like him have done it is incumbent upon us if we wish to quote unquote awaken, to evolve, to ascend, whatever word you want to use, to immerse ourselves in this information. It is there. Have the courage to read it, to contemplate all that you read, to contemplate your surroundings, be more aware, put the pieces together and don't be afraid. That's what people like my lovely guest, Brad Olson, are here to do, help you do. So with that, I'm going to say thank you. We're going to take this over to the after show. You know we're taking this to the after show. And I'm busting at the seams because we can talk about some things over there that we can't talk about here. So we're going to go there. So if I were you, I would join us. Links in the description. You know what to do. But before we close out, uh, I want to say also contact in the desert. I got to say, I admit, I wish I were there. I think all of us that have, you know, I've, I've been an MC there for a few years now. I miss Indian Wells. I miss Joshua Tree. Okay, so it's virtual this year. Ah, but it's going to be great. And you're looking at one of the featured speakers. Thank you so much, Brad, for rounding out our uh, special Contact in the Desert featured speaker series. We had Laura Eisenhower as well as uh, Mary Rodwell in the last couple of weeks. So here's what Brad will be uh, lecturing about. He's got two lectures. Uh, one, I believe he mentioned, Unsolved Mysteries of South America, Lost Technologies, and Megaliths 
of Peru and Bolivia. And then the one that he did mention, Hidden Anomalies of Antarctica, his bailiwick, guys, big time. And he's going to give you the latest update. So contact begins this weekend. June 25th goes through June 28th. I know they've got all sorts of goodies for you. It will be virtual, but it will be as real life as it possibly can be. Contact in the desert knows how to do it. Shout out, Victoria. You really do your thing and your partner as well. So there you have it, folks. Closing comments, Mr. Olson, before we head on over to Patreon. What would you like to say? Well, thank you so much for having me on. This has been a great discussion. You're really on the tip, Alexa. And, and I do my bit. You do your part. We're all in this together. We're here to elevate the consciousness of this planet, of the human race. And we're all in this together. Uh, we all do our small bit as best we can. And in a way, Contact in the Desert being virtual this year is a good thing because they always sell out. So mm -hmm. it will allow a lot more people to have access to these incredible speakers that are coming up. And, and what I consider the tip of the movement, the consciousness that's really going to help elevate us into this new age of humanity. And it is people who are bringing forth this kind of information at Contact in the Desert, people like you, Alexa, on your show, that, that is really, I would say, good karma. It, 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 you're an educator. You're helping people understand. And when I was an English teacher in Japan, I, I had uh, some elderly students say to me, well, you're a sensei. You're, you're a teacher. You are really have good karma. And I'm just right out of college going out for a drink after work with the guys and <laughs> dating my students. <laughs> well, they were all adults, but <laughs> I can't say that. In the after show, <laughs> I get into it. There you go. But, but the point is, you're a sensei. And doing that is, is very good for your own personal karma and to help everybody else understand this momentous period in history, which we're all a part of, and to make sense of the great mystery from beyond. So keep doing what you're doing, Alexa. I'll do what I'm Ditto. doing. And even though we're meeting in a cyber space right now, uh, we'll get to the point where we'll, we'll hang out. One Absolutely. And I can look forward to that day. And so thank you again for having me on and it was a great thank interview. You. And well, let me say, level. Domo arigato gozaimasu. Doi tashimashite. All right. Enough said. All right, journeyers. Thanks for joining us. Come on over to Patreon. We're going to keep this going big time. All right, guys. We love you as always. Bye now.